Have you ever wanted to go somewhere, I mean, that you couldn't go or didn't have the time to go or the money to go or you always wanted to be there? Well, Paul had that. Paul wanted to get to Rome. In fact, he had a promise from God that in Acts 23, 11, that he would witness in Rome also. And nothing could stop Paul from his desire to go to Rome. I've got a place I want to go real bad. As much as I'd like to be in San Antonio tomorrow night to watch Georgia Tech win the national championship, uh, I got it in, Lewis, so you need to put more money in the offering plate. <laughs> I, I love the Masters. I've been to the tournament several times and to probably a dozen practice rounds, and, but I've always wanted those badges, you know, those little badges they pin on you that say you're a patron, and you get that badge and you pin it on and you're a patron. That means that you can go to Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday to the Masters and see how the other half lives. And so, years ago, I kind of put my name in the hat. I saw a little ad in USA Today. It was three sentences. It pays you to read the small print in the newspaper. And it said that they were opening up the waiting list for the Masters. And I sent my name in, registered mail. Now, I know that the waiting list is 20 years. So I figured, eh, when I'm 72, I'll take my walker and I'll go around the Masters. Well, this past fall, I got a letter from Hootie Johnson. Martha Burke may not like him, but I'm going to kiss him when I see him. <laughs> and it said, you will receive in March of 2004 two Life Masters badges for Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. First person I called after I called my wife was my brother-in-law, Chris, and I told him he got happy. Because the thing I said to him is, that now, if it falls on an Easter Sunday, you'll get the tickets. And he's real happy this year. <laughs> Second person I called was Charles Lowry. I said, Charles, I can't believe it, because Charles has tickets to the Masters. His family, his wife's family has had tickets for 30, 40 years. And Charles has tickets to the Masters. And, and I said, Charles, I can't believe it. How do you think I got these tickets? He said, somebody gave Hootie your article on Martha Burt. he turned to somebody and said, give that boy two tickets. I like him. Somebody asked me later, said, how come you got two tickets to the Masters? I said, I tithe. What's your problem? <laughs> and so I'm going to have new meaning to Amen Corner on Thursday. I mean, I'm going to get on Amen Corner, and I hope they don't throw me out because I'm going to say amen real loud. I always wanted to go there. Paul had that passion to go to Rome. He's been told he's going to go, and six trials later, he's on a ship. He's been turned over to a guard named Julius, who is responsible to take him to Rome to go on trial. Now, I'm not much of a boat person. I, I kind of like my land rock solid. 
you know, when they start moving and, and you know, I like cruises because they're big enough you don't feel it. But, you know, first time I went deep sea fishing, I, I fed the fish. I mean, you know, it's just, I, I'm not much for that. I grew up on the coast. I've seen all the coast I need to see. I've welcomed more hurricanes than I ever want to think about. And, and so I'm not much of a boat person. My, my mother worked at Ingalls Shipyard. And we lived just a few blocks from the shipyard and just a few blocks from the Gulf. And so not only could I get out and just go a few blocks and I could see the Gulf of Mexico, I could go a few blocks and see Ingalls Shipyard. And so uh, we would go down for christening of ships. And I, I remember going down for the christening of a submarine. And I was a little boy and, and I loved war stories and everything else. And I remember standing there for the christening of that submarine. And, and all of a sudden, two planes fly over. And I thought the Japanese were bombing us. I mean, it's just my vivid imagination. I kind of freaked out. But, but I, we've got old 8-millimeter pictures of ships that have been christened, and then they set out to sail, and we would stand at the end of Market Street in Pascagoula and, and film the ship as it would leave from the Pascagoula River and go out and sail over the horizon. I've seen a lot of ships sail out of that town. Never seen a shipwreck. I've seen a lot of hurricanes but I've never seen a shipwreck. But you know, it is in the shipwrecks, in the storms, in the battles, that either the reality or the hypocrisy of our faith is revealed. How we handle the storms, how we handle the battles, shows us first and then others whether our faith is real or hypocritical. There's some great scenes in the movie Gods and Generals. And in that movie, Stonewall Jackson is portrayed by Stephen Lang, and, and Jackson was a very devout Presbyterian. In fact, every person on his staff was either a Presbyterian elder or a Presbyterian deacon. He believed strongly in the sovereignty of God. And I want you to turn your attention to the screens because I want you to see these three scenes that we've put together from gods and generals because this is how Jackson viewed battles and adversity. This is the way he looked at life. So if you turn your attention to the screens, I want you to see just a couple of minutes of this. Dear Lord, this is your day have admonished us to keep it holy. If it is your will that we fight this day, then your will be done. I ask your protection over Anna, your faithful servant, my loving wife. I ask you to shine your face down upon her Lord on her 30th birthday to fill her heart with the conviction of how much she is loved and missed by her husband. Dear Lord, you have called me to this place in this hour far from my home and my loved ones, but I know it is your will that leads me here. If it is your will that we fight today, I am ready, Lord, thy will be done. It is your sword I will wield in the battle. Your banner I will raise against those who would desecrate our land. And if it is my time to be with you, Lord, then I come to you with all the joy in my heart. 
General, sir. The day is going against us. If you think so, sir, you had better not say anything about it. You can keep so serene and stay so utterly insensible with a storm of shells and bullets raining about your head. Captain Smith, my religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time for my death. I do not concern myself with that, but to be always ready whenever it may overtake me. That is the way all men should live. And all men would be equally brave. That's the way all men should live. And then all men would be equally brave. Paul's advice was not heeded. They didn't listen to him. He, he knew. He had a word from God. But they didn't listen to what he had to say to them. And in beginning in verse 9 of chapter 27, it says, When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them and said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss. Not only the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there, and if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spent the winter there. When a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close inshore. At first, it appeared that Paul was wrong. They got a favorable wind. It appeared that the minister was wrong and the mariners were right. It appeared that Paul had made a mistake and they decided that they were going to pull out because they didn't want to spend the winter in this little dinky town. And so they began to set sail. Now be careful because impatience... And unprayed-over decisions always lead to trouble. If you're impatient with God and you're not willing to wait on God, if you're not willing to listen to Him, there will be an impatient, unprayed-over decision that you will spend an exhaustive amount of time trying to fix. And here's Paul saying, you know, we don't have to go, we don't need to go, but they believed these other people. And so they set sail. They thought it was the easy way, but the easy way is the wrong way. I'm amazed that we live in a day of experts. 
I was watching one of the commercials yesterday during, during the basketball game, and they're, they're doing this about, they're doing all these commercials about so many student athletes in college don't actually end up playing professional sports. And, you know, this one girl, she's a NCAA softball player, and she says, you know, and I'm a Marine, I'm majoring in Marine Rescue Biology. I don't know what that means. You know, does that mean guppies? Does that mean whales? I mean, what does marine rescue biology mean? So she's a specialist in a field, and we live in a day of specialists and experts. And when somebody gets on television and they speak and they've got a degree after their name or a title after their name, or they're the president of some institute, which they probably started themselves, we say, oh, they're an expert. Of course, now celebrities are experts. They get on Leno and Letterman and Conan O'Brien, and, and, and they, get on all the, they get on Oprah, and they, they get on every show in the world, and they give their opinion about politics. Of course, they couldn't run Sasser, but they think they know how to run America. And they give their opinion on relationships. Of course, they can't keep one. They're in People Magazine every week with somebody else but they're going to tell us how to live. And just like the time of Paul, when the minister stands up and says, hey, this is the way it's supposed to be, they, they say, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Let's leave that to the experts. Let's leave it to the economists and the sociologists and the politicians and the media. Hey, it's the economists and the sociologists and the politicians and the media that have got us in the mess we're in. They've taken us into a storm because they thought this was the right thing to do. And America is suffering the consequences of so-called experts who know what they're doing and know nothing about what they're doing. Now, I'm grateful for experts when they're experts in their field and I'm not, I'm not able to comprehend it. But if an expert speaks without an awareness of God's plan and God's design for mankind. If he thinks man is just an overgrown amoeba, then that expert is going to lead you down the wrong road. Don't you know that when Elijah said it's not going to rain, that the people at the Weather Channel said, does he have a degree in meteorology? Don't you know when he said, after three years it's going to rain, I see a cloud of the size of a man's hand, that all the weather experts were saying, it's not going to rain, it hadn't rained in three and a half years, and it's not even cloudy, there's not a front moving in. Don't you know when, when uh, Amos made his prophecies that people thought he was a nuisance? Don't you know that when John the Baptist said to the religious leaders, you need to repent, that somebody in that religious crowd said, I wonder what seminary he got his degree in. Don't you remember that when Jesus taught as one with authority, that they said of him, is this not the carpenter's son? Just slammed him. Put him down. He's just a carpenter's son. What does he know? Where has he been trained? What kind of education does he have? And yet God has a word for us that he wants us to get, and most of the time, Unfortunately, the majority is wrong. The majority of the people on this boat said, hey, it's a good day, great weather, favorable wind, let's get going. And they were wrong. And if it hadn't been for Paul, they would all died. By the way, the majority is wrong just about everywhere. The majority of the average church doesn't come. But we don't quit having services. 
The majority don't give, but we don't quit offering ministries. The majority don't serve or witness, but we don't shut our doors. You see, you never run your life by the majority. You run your life by majoring on God's Word and what God's Word says that you are to do. It it is a majority that can say, well, we got a group together and they agree with us, and so we must be right. And the more we get to agree with us, the more right we must be. But if you haven't grounded your decisions and heeded the Word of God, you're headed for a shipwreck. And anybody who studies the Word of God and sees the Word of God knows that the shipwreck is coming because there's a storm on this sea. Secondly, the perilous storms are going to come. Look at verse 14. But before long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind. This was hurricane season. Called Uraquilo. We just name them Betsy and Bob and Fred and, you know, they should have lived in America. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves, now notice this phrase, it appears twice, be driven along. In other words, they lost control. Now the storm is in control of their lives. Running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables and undergirding the ship, and fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor, and in this way they let themselves be driven along. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. And no small storm was assailing us. And then I want you to see the way he ends verse 20. From then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. They were in despair. It seemed that all was lost. It seemed that this storm was going to overwhelm them, that the storm was going to take them down. They could not see the sun or the stars, and that's what happens to people. They get in the middle of the storm, and they can't see the sun or the stars, and they begin to be immersed in darkness and despair and gloom and and depression. I got a lengthy letter from a lady this week whose son has been in severe depression since November, constantly looking for help, constantly trying to find hope, losing weight, dark circles under his eyes, lines beginning to form in his face because of the despair. He feels no hope. He goes to bed every night praying that God will let him go in his sleep. Despair, discouragement. And when you get in a storm and when you've done everything you know to do and the storm doesn't let up, then you get to that point where all hope of being saved is gradually abandoned because now what happens, and listen to me carefully, the storm without becomes the storm within. And you begin to internalize the storm. And you begin to embrace it. And you begin to feel it in your bones. And all of a sudden, it's dark. And in that time, there are two lessons you need to learn. Number one, God will be with you in the storm. God will be with you in the storm. Look at verse 21. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, 
you ought to have followed my advice. And I love it when a preacher can say that. Hey, you should have listened to me. You should have followed my advice and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. In other words, what Paul's saying is you didn't have to be here. You didn't have to have this damage. You didn't have to have this loss. We didn't have to be in this situation. If you'd listen to me, and by the way, when you listen to the Word of God, you avoid a lot of situations that you don't have to be in. We could have avoided this damage and loss, yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night an angel of God, whom I belong and whom I serve, stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe that God will turn it, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. You ever thought about the fact that every one of these men would have died if Paul hadn't been on board? Every one of these men were in a storm because they hadn't listened to Paul, but they would have all died if Paul hadn't been on board. They were saved because of the presence of a man who listened to God. They were saved because of a man who would obey God and had warned them and then said, I told you so. They were delivered. He said, all of you are going to be saved. We're going to lose this ship. We're going to lose all our cargo, but we're not going to lose our lives. By the way, that's the way it is in the world. The world resents Christianity. The world resents the gospel. And they think, well, if those churches and those Christians would just leave us alone, well, one day we will. One day the trumpet's going to sound and we're going to leave them alone. And then they're going to find out that the troubles that they think are trouble now are a Sunday school picnic compared to what happens when Antichrist comes and shows up on the scene. The best thing the world's got going for it right now is the voice of the church. The voice of the Word of God that says, hey, you better watch it. There's a storm coming. There's danger ahead. There's going to be a loss. There's going to be a tragedy. You need to be ready for it. You need to be prepared for when that day comes. But one day that voice will be removed and the Spirit of God will be removed and the world will have nothing but trouble until Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation and sets it all straight. The second thing, is it not only that God will meet you, but God will encourage you in the storm. Verse 24, in the middle of the storm, Paul's saying, cheer up. Now, here's a guy who can sing in prison and smile in a storm. How do you explain that? A man who can sing in prison in Acts chapter 16 after he's been beaten, and he can smile in the middle of the storm. You explain it by the presence of God and the peace of God in his life while he's going through this storm. And if you don't know Christ today, I can tell you verse 20 sums up your life. All hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. It may look like it's smooth now, but trouble's coming. You may have all your ducks in a row, but trouble's coming. You may have charted your own course, but trouble's coming. You've got trouble headed your way. And when you get in the middle of that trouble, if you don't have Christ, all hope. It's going to look like it's going to be abandoned because you have no resources outside yourself. Look at verse 15. 
When the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Out of control. They've lost control. The rudder doesn't do any good. The oars don't do any good. The sails don't do any good. They've lost everything. They're tossing the cargo over. And in verse 24, Paul says, do not be afraid. Why? Because God's spoken. And when God speaks, that settles it. No matter what the circumstances say, no matter what the situation looks like, when God speaks, it settles the issue. And so when you're in a storm, the thing that you need to do is get before God and not hunt and peck, but just start reading the Word of God and let God speak to you out of His Word and give you a promise out of His Word so that no matter what's going on, no matter what you lose, no matter how much damage there is, that you find a promise that you can hang on to. And in that storm, you say, hey, I don't have to be afraid. God's in control. He's promised me. The God to whom I belong has given me a promise. And that promise is more real, ladies and gentlemen, than the storm is. The promise has more validity than anything the experts say or anything you feel or any uncertainty that you have in your life. You need a word from God in the storm. And I'm talking to people in this room. Some of you stood, some of you didn't stand. But I'm talking to people in this room and you're losing things. You've lost your family, you've lost friends, you've lost money, you've lost your business, you've lost your health, you've lost hope. You need to get before God and get a word from Him because He has one. God has a word for you in this storm so that you can face the day unafraid. There's one more thing. The promises of God are ours. I said there were two things you need to learn, but there's really a third one. And that is God has a word for you in this storm. Paul had a promise to hang on to. God had appeared to him. God had spoken to him. Now, God speaks to us today through the written word, but, but God had appeared to Paul. God had spoken to Paul. Paul may have remembered in that storm, the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk was in a storm. He was in a time of uncertainty, and God said to him, the just shall live by faith. Maybe you remember the words of Jesus, I will never leave you or forsake you. I don't, I don't know what Paul remembered, whether he remembered I am with you always, but he remembered this, there's no sun, there's no stars, it's dark, the winds are battering this ship, the winds are blowing, everything looks hopeless, we're being driven along. And Paul remembers being the good Jewish scholar that he was. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide its word in my heart that I might not sin against God. And so Paul begins to remember the word, and in chapter 28 and verse 14, he knew that no storm was going to affect him because he says, and so we went toward Rome. Yes, the ship was lost. Yes, the cargo was lost. Yes, things were helpless and hopeless from a human perspective, but they landed on an island. This trip took from the fall to the spring. They landed on the island, and then he just says, kind of matter-of-factly, Luke says, so we went toward Rome. Now, there are three things I would tell you before we get to the next point. First of all, God is sufficient. God's sufficient. Whatever your need is, 
God sufficient. Didn't he say, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now, if it's according to the church's riches or if it's according to your riches, you're going to run out. But he supplies all the needs according to his riches. First of all, God's sufficient. Secondly, God's sovereign. That means he's in charge. That means this storm didn't catch him by surprise, even if it did you. That means that even if you disobeyed God and got yourself in a storm, God sovereignly knew it was going to happen. He's not surprised. God never looks around in heaven. Jesus never turns to the Father and says, Did you know that was going to happen? He knows all things from beginning to end. God's providence means that God sees beforehand. And God seeing beforehand knows beforehand and knows how to walk you through. And third thing is, I'm secure. If God is sufficient and God is sovereign, then I'm secure. In the storm that I find myself in, I'm secure because I can stand on and believe in a God who is sovereign and sufficient. He can take care of me at the point of my need. Now, there are two kinds of circumstances. By the way, look at verse uh, 44, chapter 27. And so it happened. Uh, isn't that funny? And, and so it happened. Just kind of matter of fact. And so it happened that they all were brought safely to land. You see, no storm wrecks the plan of God. Your life may seem wrecked in some spots. Your ship may sink. It may seem that your life is falling apart, but no storm of life wrecks the plan of God. And so there's two kinds of circumstances. First of all, those I can change. By the way, those aren't really problems. They're just hiccups. If I can change it, it's not really a problem. But there's a second kind, and that is those I can't change but wish I could. Those are problems or opportunities if you want to look at it on the positive side. Those I can't change but wish I could. You see, the Christian life is not victory over circumstances. Being saved doesn't deliver you from problems. It's victory through your circumstances. Seeing God in the middle of your circumstances, seeing God in the middle of your problem, in the middle of your crisis. It is God seeing you through the crisis, not getting over it. Now, that's, that's a theology that's taught, but it's nowhere in the Bible. God didn't deliver any of the Old Testament people. God, I mean, God just sees us through. Why? Because there are problems that we can't fix. you got problems in your life you can't fix. You wish you could change them. You wish you could have three wishes and a genie in a bottle. You wish you could wave a magic wand. You wish you had Tinkerbell's uh, magic fairy dust. You, you wish you could buy your way out of it. You wish you could praise your way out of it. But you're in it. And it's a problem. You can wish it away all you want to, but you wake up to it every morning. And you sleep with it every night. And you think about it every day. And it's just there. How are you going to handle it? 
when you can't get rid of it, when it won't go away. You have to remember that God is. Jesus said, I am. God the Father said, I am. He didn't say I was. He didn't say I will be. He said, I am. God is sufficient. God is sovereign. I can feel secure. When John Wesley was coming to Georgia to begin his ministry of of missions, it was a a three-and-a-half-month journey, and they hit two storms on that journey across the Atlantic. This was around 1735, and as they hit one of the storms, people were panicked. Wesley was not converted at this time, but he was coming to do mission work. And he watched a group of Moravian Christians who were on board, and they were singing and praying While this storm was going on and the crew was panicked and everybody was running around and people were crying out for their lives, he watched these Moravians sing and pray during the storm. After the storm was over, Wesley went to one of the Moravian Christians and he said, were you not afraid during that storm? And he said, oh no. He said, were you Women and children not afraid? And the Moravian said, absolutely not, for we are not afraid to die. You see, the reality is, until you get to the point where you're not afraid to die, you can't enjoy life. And you can't appreciate the life that God gives you, even in the storm. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to write down two things on how to have hope. First of all, you have to believe that God allowed it. God did it. God allowed it. God's in control of the circumstances of your life. And by the way, when I complain against God, I'm typically accusing God of mismanagement. He just was on vacation while I was in a point of need. And secondly, God will use it. God will use it. God allows it. God does it. But God will use it. God uses every circumstance as a tool to carve out His purpose for my life. Now, here's my suggestion. There's a little application box on the bottom of your sermon notes, and I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you that sometime today that you begin to list the storms, the battles in your life. Oh, that we would have the attitude that Stonewall Jackson had that I'm as safe in bed as I am on the battleground because God has fixed my days. In other words, I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret. I don't have to fear. God's in control. List the storms in your life. Those things that you can't change and you wish you could change if you could. And then get alone by yourself and thank God for them. Because 
God is going to use that storm to mold you more and more and more into His image. To make you more and more like Christ. God is going to do it in ways that you can't even begin to understand or you can't see and you can't figure out. But that storm is not so that you'll get bitter and angry with God. That storm is so that you'll be conformed to the image of Christ. And He's trying to chip away at those things that don't look like Him in your life. And so He allows you to go through those storms so that in the process you can say, Lord, I can't handle this. I, I, I quit. I give up. I can't fix this. I can't control this. I can't stop this. I can't make this change. And somewhere in heaven, God's saying, congratulations, you finally figured it out. With man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Congratulations. You're no longer on the throne of your life. You're no longer in control. You no longer push the buttons and make things work. Now you've got to trust in me and walk by faith. And get on your knees and just before God say, God, I thank you that I can see you in the storm even when I can't see the sun and the stars. But in the storm, I thank you that you're there with me. And no matter whatever else I lose... I know I can't lose you because you're always with me in the storm. Let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you do not know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior,